You're listening to an episode of the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim and welcome to the 108th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you like today's episode, be sure to leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, I have with me Vicki Lannerholm, a licensed counselor and reality therapist. Before opening her private practice, she was deputy director of behavioral health in New Mexico, chief clinical officer in West Michigan, and spent 20 years working on education and mental health grant initiatives. Her passion is understanding the human condition, challenging status quo, and writing. She's authored three books and is working on her next one about her dating journey, trying to balance emotions in a tsunami of expert knowledge. That sounds like a lot of fun. Not. So welcome, Vicki, and thank you so much for joining us today to talk about dating and your approach to it. Well, thank you for having me, Kim. It's, it's a delight to always connect with you. So I appreciate this opportunity. Thank you. And I look forward to our conversation. So you're ready to get right to it? Let's do this. Yeah. All right. So I know from your Instagram account that recently you began dating and you've been writing about your experiences online. As therapists, we try to be objective. What's that been like for you trying to balance knowledge with feelings as a therapist? It really has been a reflective process. I thought I had an edge, right? I'm a therapist and I've done this. I work with clients on relationship issues all the time, but I don't think anything prepares you for that emotional hijacking of the brain. I was single for 10 years. So spending some time now being non-objective has really been a flip of the switch in the brain. It's like oil and water, right? You have logic, you have emotions, and we teach clients how to manage their emotions, sit with their feelings. We teach them to do that by logic, but it can cause second guessing and overthinking and none of that works well in dating. You're not going to have the answers and that's kind of part of the dating thing, right? Uncertainty is not comfortable and everything in dating is uncertain. For me, I found three things that have been really important to look at. I'll share those. One is attraction and the other one is appraisal and then the whys. So those are the things that I think are really important. With the tracks, it's one of the most important things to pay attention to because you don't have enough knowledge to actually work with in the beginning of the dating stage. Feelings show up, and that's like the first thing, and that has a lot of gray areas. We have a tendency to like go too far into the future or the past. We compare and we label, or we push to move past the uncertainty, right? And so that attraction kind of pushes us into that realm, and so we feel a lot of stuff. And so then it comes to, well, how do we make sense of that? And that's the appraisal piece. I like to use Richard Lazarus's concept of appraisal theory, which is really about asking what shapes are in our dialogue, about a person or experience, how are we making sense and meaning of our emotions, right? And we can create events. We can create them by self-fulfilling prophecy. We can have different vibes with people. If we feel uneasy, the person may pick up on that and respond by being distant. If we have really good feelings, we can like put that out into the world as well then they respond by being reciprocate to that. So either us or it's the other person, or is it us together? You know, we kind of got to figure out what, where is this coming from? That's the appraisal piece. Where that's coming from is the third. What are the whys? Is it excitement? Is it that 
we're out with someone and it's attraction, right? And I like to say this, we can talk ourselves into something or we can talk ourselves out of it, right? And so our brain is constantly in this mode of making memories and that becomes our lens and intuition. Ian Robertson wrote a book that's called The Stress Test. And he talks about emotional responses operating in the same space in the body and the brain. And it's our interpretation that fuels whatever fire we choose, whether it's fear or fun, right? So it's that anticipation and expectation and our interpretation that we need to look at. What are the whys for us? An attitude that we hate dating can fuel fear. And a lot of guys say, you know, it's just like going on a job interview. I hate it. An attitude of adventure and openness can create fun. So we need to figure out what that why is for us. The big lesson then between attraction and figuring out the appraisal, how to make sense of things, and then looking at the whys, for me, has been getting really comfortable with uncertainty. Letting a space just evolve on its own in the feelings. I like that. It's kind of a release, if you will, if you're allowing. That would feel terrifying and liberating all at the same time. You had mentioned something about emotional hijacking, and I wonder if you could say a little more about that. Emotions come from the autonomic nervous system, really, if you look at how the body and brain operate. If you're looking at an emergency response person, they hit the stress response, the alarm goes off, and they have to go out, and whatever the emergency is. And so they learn how to manage that by calming the autonomic nervous system, whether it's diaphragmatic breathing or other methods. But when we feel excitement, that's from that same place. The autonomic nervous system, the ANS, it kicks up into gear. It creates the sensation internally. And again, it's either the fear or the fun. Are we excited or are we terrified? And we need to have this point of appraisal where we don't let that hijack us, where we manage that stress response, whether it's a positive stressor or a negative one. That emotional hijacking, if you're not prepared for feeling stuff again, like I was pretty neutral for 10 years being objective counselor. What happened is I really felt like I was hijacked. These feelings came back. I had not realized what they were for me because I didn't process them so much before. So that was the hijacking. How do you get past that and really liberate yourself to be okay and sit with the feelings and have the uncertainty? That is a process in and of itself and can be shocking. Oh, I bet it can be. You say you've been single for 10 years before dating. I've been single for about 10 years. So I understand what you're talking about. And that would be a challenging process because I'm a counselor and I deal with relationships. I'm very quick to say, I am not a dating coach. I'm a relationship coach. I'm really good at relationships, but there is a big space in time between that first date and relationship. Experts in online dating apps, they're always talking about matching, compatibility, and high-value partners and all of that kind of language. How has that helped or maybe hindered you in your experience? Knowledge is power, but it can be helpful sometimes, I think, to know those experiences and what perceptions people come into the, the dating world with. But it's not been helpful in terms of looking at the scientific aspect of it. Yes, there's this research on dating. Yes, the expert have some knowledge, but there are limitations and outliers. And I think we are such unique individuals today that we need to know if someone's paying attention to those trends or not. That expert knowledge can set us up for disappointment and fuel attitudes. In this area, I think there are four things that really are important to acknowledge in terms of expert knowledge, being sensitive to readiness, 
There are biases and heuristics like stereotyping that go into that. There can be false positives. Is it us? Is it them? Or is it a matching test? And then the modern concepts of high value and worth and the lists and the rules and the do's and the don'ts. These four areas are pretty tricky. If we're just falling back on those heuristics, we're going to miss being in the present moment with someone and really getting to know them. With the timing, we may sideline what we know and we may second guess based on these generic rules. We may try things and miss cues from the person we're with. So really getting in tune with how can you sit in the presence of someone and connect can be totally missed because you're following this rule in this script. We may push for an outcome because we really just want to know, is this the one or is this not the one? Or, you know, we have these things in our mind. Maybe that's playing. We need to pay attention to those more than the rules. We should be careful not to, you know, in that timing piece, to not do things to rule them out, but rather be patient and present. And so what we can do then in that timing piece is we tend to test or guess versus ask and talk about things because it's easier. It's emotionally safe. We don't have to face the possibility of rejection or conflict. So those rules kind of take us out of being in the present moment. The other piece, the the biases and heuristics, is really about the stereotyping, I think. This is what I like to tell my clients. And, And again, I'm not a dating relationship coach, expert, any of those things. I work on a broad range of mental health challenges that people have and whatever. The brain likes easy is what I like to tell my clients. And what I mean by that is with heuristics, it's about having that problem solving that gives us shortcuts. We don't have to think too deeply about things. So it's that immediate response. What do I know? I'm going to say that. That's okay. So we have these defaults. And I think this trending creates a default that helps us miss the depth of really living in the moment. One of the things that strikes me about all this in terms of biases is that research shows that it takes less than four seconds of exposure for the brain to grab onto something and actually favor it without any evidence to support it. This is Robert Zajonce, and that was his mere exposure effect back in the 60s and 70s. Those biases give an impression of knowledge, but keeps us from a deeper, more meaningful experience. We adopt a script and a role that's just not authentic. Well, that sounds very tricky to navigate because it's something that you're probably not even aware of. It's just happening on some subconscious level. So how do you bring that to consciousness? In operationalizing that knowledge then is knowing ourselves and knowing the rules and finding somewhere in between that really makes sense for us. I like to use some examples, which is take the guy with emotional wounds. It could be a woman as well, who hasn't processed maybe a bitterness of a past relationship or even childhood. He may have logic from these rules and these experts. When he's presented with his own emotional content, maybe he really falls for a woman really quickly or whatever might happen. He's very attracted to her. Those feelings, that could be a conflict for him. He may shut down. He may run. Then we're seeing the ghosting or the blocking or the inconsistencies, right? And we interpret that in a certain way rather than going deeper. So he may not be a jerk after all. It could be just his fear that he's operating out of. And so we need to kind of look beyond what we're really seeing in those rules. So it's that interpretation. Again, it's the appraisal. It's not malice intent that anybody has. We do things out of self-preservation or goal orientation. And in dating, it should be relationship oriented, not those other things. 
That's absolutely right. It's two individual people just getting to know each other and finding out who the other is in the context of who you are. It doesn't have to be so complicated, but sometimes we complicate it with all of the information that we're bombarded with. What does a good relationship look like? What should you have in a partner? There is no perfect partner or high value partner. It's just what works with you. And it could be very different from what works with someone else that you know. I like that. Yeah. Don't take it personally kind of thing. I know we say that and it sounds generic, but it's really important not to do that. We have to decide, are we willing to take a chance on that guy? or girl, or should we just move on? That's on us. We need to make that decision. Looking at just the expert biases, that can be really limiting. The third thing are those false positives, those personality tests, the attachment, the compatibility, all that. They're not conclusive. They're really just best for self-awareness, not to say, oh, this is the guy or girl for me, because they cause us to pay attention to our impression maybe of us on others. Versus being authentic with someone and curious in that experience with them. So are you saying that we're trying to create the person that the other person would like instead of showing who we maybe really are? Yeah. These tests are based on, again, a specific group of people in a certain time frame. Some of them are outdated, frankly, and aren't really valid now. We need to look at the context and how they were developed versus thinking this is telling me who I should be with. It's really about what can I learn about myself in this test? I think that's important. So we don't have that false positive. And technology complicates this. The texting and the, you know, we're sensory beings. We need to actually have other experiences with someone. One of the fun things, I have to mention this, but you ever heard of the Love is Blind? It's on uh, Netflix. Yeah, I've watched it. (laughs) It's interesting. But, But Tinder's doing a similar thing now where they're not showing the pictures, right? It's this new thing they're doing. If we connect on one level, though, if we're not seeing people, if we don't have that full sensory experiences, we're just texting, we're kind of doing the same thing. Later on, when we get the whole person in front of us, we may actually feel obligated then, based on we have this connection, to follow through on something that's not a full scope experience. It's like fitting the square peg into a round hole after we're exposed to that reality of the person. So we need to be careful that we're just leaning on one thing those false positives about who we should be with and what the connection really is. So really you're talking about false positives as well as false negatives. So it's about getting that full experience, being open to the fact that your first impression may be wrong and allowing people to show us who they really are. Remembering that the other person is doing exactly the same thing. They're trying to decide if you are the, we often only think about who's the right person for me, but we don't think about whether we are the person that the other person wants, unless we're trying to become that person, which is probably an exercise in futility and frustration for both people. Absolutely. The compatibility factor is pretty big in those false positives. And I think that we lean a lot on those tasks to tell us, this is who I'm matching with. We have the same or different attachment styles. We know what to do, the same languages, whatever it is. Really, if you're looking at the initial stage, I mean, compatibility is going to evolve. It's going to change. It's not constant. In the initial stages, it's really about, okay, what are our values? What are our lifestyles? And what's our commitment to be and build a relationship? And those are very different than any of the tests that we have out there today. Right. It's like making sure we're asking the right questions. Simple things 
I remember a relationship that I was in was very difficult because of temperature. This person had the temperature in their home about 10 degrees warmer than my temperature in my home. And so I would go there and I would be so hot all the time. And he would come to my place and he'd be freezing. In neither place was it really comfortable for the other person. It was really fascinating that something like that could be a challenge in a relationship. We figured it out, but it was a sacrifice on both of our parts when we went to the other person's house. It was interesting. That's a great example for compatibility. We need to look beyond those tests and the expert advice. I really want to touch on is the high value piece. This is something that has really touched a nerve with me. And maybe that's something I need to examine. Again, I'm in a reflective process and being very vulnerable about that. That's the limits and the rules and the do's and don'ts. That's the high value piece that we look at. And and I think it sets an expectation that can produce disappointment, can be misleading, degrading, and petty and demanding. I have to share this because one of the major experts out there today said this in a video. He said, here are the things that turn men off. One of the list things was that they don't like women who aren't showering right away after their workout. It kind of took me back. Another one said that women, you know, you shouldn't let your feelings show too soon. All of these things are part of dating and learning of each other. And so if we're setting these bars, we're going to pretend, right? It's going to be politically correct versus really connecting with someone. We all need to own our emotional dispositions, men and women, and, you know, all of us. Sometimes the best way is really to get a counselor or coach. That would probably be something I would recommend for all of these areas. That's so interesting because I'm thinking anybody who comes out as a, quote, dating expert who says, women do this, men do this. It's a little like that book that most people who are in their 50s or older have read is, Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. I believe that during that time, the book had a lot of validity and it was really based on stereotypes and the way that we're socialized to behave. But I think that over time, we have really, especially in the United States, blown up some of those stereotypes and the gender roles. And there's so many differences, individual differences. It's a little similar to when I do diversity training and I'm talking about We can tell you these trends among certain groups, but really that's just stereotyping. If you want to get to know someone, you've got to get to know the individual because that individual will not fit all the stereotypes of their particular group. And they may actually be the opposite. It sounds like it's very similar in dating as well. Just because someone is male or someone is female doesn't mean that what this person, this expert said, men don't like. Maybe there's somebody out there that that's their thing and that's what they really do like. You just have to find out the individual person. Yeah. One of the things as I was kind of thinking about what we might talk about today is I thought, you know, really with all these trends and experts, if we can find a way with our new dating potential partner, right, to talk about what trends they've seen, what trends we've seen and figure out what's been resonating with them, then we can break through these expert things and just find out who we are together as individuals and whatnot. So I think talking about it is always going to be the thing. I'm a big fan of talking and communication. And I also know that some people are terrified of that. Again, it's finding ways to communicate that are compatible with our partners and with ourselves. So sometimes we communicate physically. Sometimes we communicate with our silence. Sometimes we communicate with our words. But communication is really important. I completely agree. 
know you've written about attraction, indulgence in feelings, and what you call emotional hangovers. What have been some key discoveries that others may want to watch for? Feelings are energy. They really are this energy that runs through our brain and body and electrical impulses and all those kinds of fun things and hormones and neurotransmitters. Matching that energy with someone I think is important to look for. It's kind of like the law of attraction, right? Be on the same frequency, have the same drive and level of passion. Even the same vision with each other for the future, right? So healthy relating doesn't involve necessarily carrying someone through those feelings and emotions, but recognizing what they are and being able to talk about it, you know, bridging that brain logic with the brain stress response, whether it's fun or fear. We need to allow that space in all our attraction. If there's too much too soon, overload, the brain will feel that. It's important to focus on priorities and be reminded of like our values and uh, lifestyle needs and give things time to simmer. So like daily constant texting and calls, things like that is just a little too much. Not because it doesn't feel right, not because it isn't great at the moment, but it really doesn't give the brain that space to process things through and let them simmer. Those are the things I would really say watch for that. Set expectations verbally early around it. For example, you know, I tend to check my messages once a day. I don't allow notifications during the day on my phone. I'm with clients online, things like that. So I tell potential partners that, that look, you can text and do whatever, but I won't see it until when. So don't read anything into not getting a message within five minutes or whatever. So talk about those things. That's, that's something we all run into nowadays, right? We're a technology world. The hormones and the feelings and the neurotransmitters. Using our happy thoughts and being positive, we can do this with complaining and negativity. So why not with happiness? That creates this attraction from within. So we're actually emitting something that will draw someone else in. We need to kind of be careful with those feelings and the hormones, both when we're together and when we're not. But we need space to leverage them versus just being enveloped in someone else's when we're with them or texting or calling. I like that. That's the emotional hangover, right? We have this attention that we've been wanting with someone that can hijack us. So we need Mm. to be careful with that. What's sustainable, right? Because, I mean, we need to watch for this. Sustainable attraction is really about maintaining good feels and a circuit between a partner and you. And so the more you light that neurological pathway, the stronger that's going to become. And mutual attraction involves sensory experiences that others can be a part of. Physical smell, touch, and how they talk, and flirting, and how they move, and attitudes, and all of those things are like this comprehensive package that we need to be a part of that. You can't just have one or the other. So that's why I think like shows like Love is Blind and that great, they show one side of attraction, but not what it's like when you get the full package and you're faced with this whole person, right? And who knows if that's sustainable? You need the whole thing. I have had some. I don't even want to call them relationships. They weren't relationships, but I've had some people that I've had texting with and I don't feel like I know that person until I've actually met them physically. It's like, we can text all you want. And I like texting and I like getting to know people that way before meeting them in person, because I need to get a sense of safety and that kind of thing, of course. I just think that being able to meet a person and know them in person and have all five of your senses engaged in that experience gives you more information than you could ever get from texting. And then if you have this texting relationship and the person wants to take it to the next level and go to sexting, 
which is not a thing that I've ever knew about when I was dating. Right. And it's like, I'm not comfortable with that. I just don't want to do that. And that's one of my boundaries. If I don't know you, if we haven't been intimate, I am not interested in sending you pictures or anything like that, but I need to know you before I do something like that. And by that, I mean, I need to actually see you physically and know something about you and have some intimacy with you, not just texting. So I get that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's texting and those kinds of approaches. I, I had a man send me a link to a video called The Perfect Human. It's, a, it's an old Danish video from I don't know, 1960s. That was quite provocative and suggestive. <laughs> There's some things you need to watch out for, right? And so there is that safety piece too. And safety for emotional boundaries, safety for physical safety. So it, it's thinking about all of those things. There are danger zones, right? You know, what's changeable, what's sustainable. If you're thinking, if only... I like everything, but if you have those kinds of thoughts about a partner, then you're probably not about aligning that with values and lifestyle and commitment. And so you need to figure out what to do with that. Those are the things I would watch for, definitely. As you know, as another choice theory person, it's one of the things I talk about as it relates to relationships. If there's something you don't like about this person, they're probably not going to change because you want them to. So you need to figure out, is this something I truly can accept? meaning I'm not going to be angry, frustrated, or resentful around it? Or is it something that is really a non-negotiable for me and I need to end this relationship because I can't be okay with this and I'm going to make my life miserable and their life miserable by trying to change that part of that person? Absolutely. And I think that's about communication, right? Which is, hey, I noticed you said, or I noticed you tend to you can bring that up in a conversation and really find out, is this a temporary thing? Are they doing this because they're nervous right now? Or is this part of their regular repertoire in life? You need to kind of get to the bottom of that and talking can get there a lot faster than guessing and poking through. And then two months later, you're like, oh my gosh, they're not going to change, right? Or sadly, two years later, 20 years <laughs> later, right? Are you ready to get a little personal? Sure, I'll give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> what has been the hardest and the easiest thing about getting back into dating? I'm going to say for, for the hardest, what came to my mind is really the communication piece. And this is something I hear from all clients, getting to know someone. Dating is stressful and we get tongue tied, especially if we have a high attraction or chemistry level with someone. We tend to go to that emotional and feeling place before we go to the logic it can really hijack us in a different way than anything else. Finding the talking topics, we need to know how to talk about ourselves. I find that to be really hard. I listen to other people, but I don't necessarily talk a lot about myself. That's not my comfort zone. I mean, even interviews, that's kind of difficult. I'm trying it out and see how this works. It's about how to read the room. What's the other person ready for? That's really hard to know. Stepping into their shoes and asking, you know, how would they receive if I send this and share this with them? And so I use a little technique I call a buffer zone and an opt out that I use with clients for relationships. And a buffer zone is really about, hey, you know, when your partner's been at work all day and he or she comes home and they've been in this whole different mind space and you've been in a whole different mind space, they walk in or you walk in and you go, ah, you know, this happened today and I feel like this and why didn't you text me back or all this stuff. We need to kind of stop and back off and create this buffer zone where you say, hey, you know, I've been thinking about this all day. When's going to be a good time to talk? Maybe we can talk about it later. So you create this buffer where the person can say, no, you know, I'm not ready right now, but yeah, I'd love to talk about it too. 
And then if you're on the other end, you can say, if someone approaches you with something and you kind of feel blindsided, you can create a buffer zone and an opt out and say, I don't know, I hadn't really thought about that. Is there any way we can revisit it at another time? Let me process a little bit. So you need to create these opt outs and buffer zones for each other. And I think those are the talking skills we need to have. I really like the buffer zone idea and the opt out. I think that could prevent so much miscommunication and misunderstandings. I just think that's brilliant. Yeah, it's worked well. I've never seen it fail yet. So maybe there should be some research on it. It's okay to ask someone, you're, hey, what should we talk about? You know, it's like when you go to a movie, what movie should we watch? We should feel free to decide on topics together versus make these assumptions. And it's hard to do that. Then how quickly do you want to move to emotional content? And this is something you can also talk about, right? It has a lot to do with the Yohari window. And this is the stuff that we keep in the closet, whether we admit it or not, we do. And it's not about keeping secrets. It's about really safety and reality of comfort and reaction. So only as we interact with people, we get to know more stuff, more is revealed. And we know a billion things in our mind at any given time, but we can only juggle like five to seven. That's what research says. That's based on cues in the environment and what we're exposed to and what's salient that day. Even that week, if we've had a really stressful week, that's going to be cut down to maybe three things we can pull out of our mind at at the drop of a hat. Knowing what we can reveal, not pushing, and again, reading the person. Sometimes you know right away with different things. What are the, the things you want to know about? What are the deal breakers? How do you want to approach these subjects? So you can think about these things ahead of time. Know your intentions. Why are you asking certain things of your partner, potential partner? Is it curiosity? Are you wanting to know someone or do you just want to rule them out? There's this agenda that we need to look for within ourselves. And not everyone reveals everything fully when you ask them. So don't make assumptions about what they mean or if there's more to it. You're only going to know over time that uncertainty piece is uncomfortable. We have to get comfortable with it. So making observations, asking versus judgments and knowing how to do that. Yeah, I really like that because judgments are so quick and easy to get to, especially if you're dating and you're scared. It's so much easier to rule people out than it is to rule them in. So I'm guessing that this isn't just about getting to know the other person. I suspect a lot has to do with getting to know yourself and being able to communicate that so that you're representing yourself in an authentic way. Because if not, if you're not clear about who you are, you're going to find yourself pulled into this relationship or this dating environment trying to fit in to something someone else has created for themselves. And you're not going to get what you need from that relationship. Absolutely. With one guy I was dating, I asked him, <laughs> I said, it sounds like because he was describing his world and all these things and his house and all this kind of stuff. And I said, are you hoping just to fit someone into your world? And it took him quite a bit to answer. He was kind of blindsided by that question. But we need to figure out what are we coming from? What are we sharing? Why are we doing it? And that takes self-reflection. If you've never been to counseling, you're not going to really know that process. Right. What's the easiest thing about dating? (laughs) There's Kim, there's nothing easy. (laughs) That's what I would think. (laughs) Personally, I would say that the easiest thing is really, you know, when you like someone. But that's not an indicator that this is the one or this is a thing. You need something more to know if it's sustainable. Let go of the outcome. We see different quotes out there. But having a vision is critical. We all have them. If we want to deny it, we're going to end up in a mess. That's just how it is. So it's our investment in a vision that's a problem. 
if you can't see yourself with someone in the future and you've gone on a couple of dates or whatever, I mean, you need to really face that truth and ask yourself, what is the point? Where am I really going with this? Am I expecting them to change? You know, so in my experience, it's helpful to let those allowances play, but not fixate on them and know that we're not casting characters yet. This is an ongoing story that's evolving and we need to just try to be present and enjoy the moments. I mean, the lesson here is just always communicate, communicate, communicate. Talk about being sensitive to others' emotional bandwidth and figure that out. If you're not sure, ask them and give space for that process. That is very sensible. What would you say to people who are in their early dating stage and are looking for the one? When I hear that, I think about Tom Hanks' character in Sleepless in Seattle. Mm -hmm. He says, I'd rather just see someone and get a feeling about them. And really, that's kind of how it evolves. But we have the ability to impact that feeling over time. Feelings, they can be false positives. This is where knowledge and expert objective information can be helpful to guide our appraisal. Feelings can change from day to day, week to week, and there must be something more to lean on. Whatever we define perfect as being, we need to be careful with that and know how we're defining it. Relationships are a two-way street. Defining perfect should be a collective activity. It may take time, and we have to do it verbally. A good feeling can be perfect. Someone who's been alone for a long time and really has been wanting to find someone, proximity can be perfect. Checking the boxes can be perfect. That doesn't mean you're perfect together or that that's the one. I have a client who has been dating someone for three months now. She's been in the dating world for a year. And he says to her, you're the one. And she says to him, but you're not for me. That's an interesting kind of dynamic. But so they have decided that in three months, they're going to reassess. So when do you decide and what's the criteria? There is no list. This is something we need to know about ourselves. What are our deal breakers? All the different lists of things that we look for or that we don't want. And that's how long are you willing to wait? I think that's right. another question, right? If you're, if you're 20, you might be willing to wait longer than if you're 75. Sure, you have less time available to you. So you may be a little more impatient maybe or quicker to make those decisions. It's important, like you said, to do it verbally and to have it be a mutual conversation. Yeah, yeah, that's such a good point. I mean, it depends on where we are in our life cycle and the stages we go through. And if we've been divorced, if we had partner pass away, all those different things play a role. We need to lean on kind of our intuition and really talking it out with a person, finding ways to do that. And it's being ready. Get ready. If you're going to go in the dating world and you're looking for the one, you have to be ready. Brace yourself for a roller coaster ride emotionally. Be careful not to desensitize yourself and get discouraged. You have to find ways to have other supports and other things that you love in life to do, because otherwise this can drain you very, very quickly. You have to be intentional, be honest and practical. Again, lifestyles and values and commitment to building a relationship. Those are big things. And having a learning mindset. I think that's important. The best approach to dating is really seeing it as a learning encounter every time you're with someone. Check your expectations at the door. I think that's what I would say to anybody. Just check your expectations at the door and care about others. Because if you're interested in impressing someone more than understanding them, I think it's time to step back. Don't be in it to get something or catch someone, but to connect with someone. So that there's these mindsets that we can go into. And, and the one is really relative. It's the one you can see yourself with. You've both felt that you've said it and you're working on plans to do it together. No hidden agendas. Nothing's left off the table. And when you know, you know, you really do know, 
but be careful that the knowing isn't based on the agendas and the rules and the do's and the don'ts or a perfect catch or you've always dreamed of or all these things. Make sure they're in the same space. This is what we do as therapists. If it's not written down, it didn't happen. So if you didn't talk about it, if you haven't talked about it, it's probably not real, at least not yet. So then you decide how much of a chance you want to give. There's one question I think everybody should ask all the time while they're dating. And it is, what would you regret if? Be all in, but not for a permanent thing. Be all in to learn more, to keep going and embrace this process of change in your life. I think that's really important. I like the idea of seeing dating as a learning process. It's a little like the two emotions of anxiety and excitement are the same. It's just defining in context, like a roller coaster is exciting. Worrying about whether the person next to you has COVID and isn't wearing a mask, that's anxiety, right? For some, not for everybody. Like you said, fear and fun. Defining it for yourself as what is this? And if you take the proper precautions to be safe, then the fear can be in the back of your mind and just prepare for some fun. And the worst thing that will happen is that you're going to learn that this person isn't for you, but that's learning. And that's a good thing. The best thing is you might meet a person that you could be happy with in the long term. I have to laugh about the one I had a great grandfather. And of course, I didn't live long enough as a child to hear him say this, but my father relays it to me that my great grandfather used to say, to my father, boy, there's probably 4,000 women in this world that you could be happy with. You just have to find one of them. <laughs> and so I've never grown up with this idea that there's one person for everybody. And even if you buy into the idea of soulmates, soulmates just means that you've traveled a different lifetime with this person. It doesn't mean that there's one person in the whole world who is your soulmate and you need to find that one needle in a haystack and then you can be happy. I just want to share this one story because it was one of the saddest and tragically funny stories in my work with women and divorce. This woman told me that she was divorcing her husband, who's a really good guy. And I said, so why are you divorcing him? And she said, well, he's not like the men in the romance novels. And she read three to four Harlequin romance novels every week, every week. And she's looking for the one who's going to walk off the pages in that book and into her life and want to be with her. We have to check our expectations. Non-negotiables are fine, but when we have expectations for other people, that's really not our business to have expectations for other people. We just need to look and learn who are you and are you a person that I can travel my life with for a time or forever if that's what you're looking for. It's not about you have to be the one all the time, every day, in every situation, in all contexts. I just think that's not even realistic. Yeah, for sure. And the last thing I think for the person who's getting out there or starting out is learn how to be comfortable with discomfort and uncertainty. Yes, that is so true. You just don't know. And be excited about finding out. I like that. I like that idea. You may have inspired me to jump back into dating. Who knows? We will see. What services do you offer, Dr. Vic, as your name is on Instagram? And do you have anything that's coming up that you might want our audience members to know about? Well, I do just very basic counseling, executive coaching. I do employee program benefits. I have different contracts that I work with. Basic counseling, relationship, mental health, and The only thing I have coming up is my next book, and I don't know when that's going to come out. It's going to be published traditionally, 
and I can't necessarily talk about that yet because it's in the works. It is about dating a timeline that I've given to explore this new. And I'll definitely keep sharing on Instagram. I think Instagram is a great place to convey different events and what's happening. And you can read all about my craziness and dating on Instagram. So I think that's a good place to start. Hopefully that answers the questions. Really, Instagram is the best place if you want to learn more about my progress through dating and the events that are occurring there. My website is drvic.org, D-R-V-I-C.org. And that's the best place to find out how to reach me. I have few slots for clients. Usually they book pretty quickly. All right. Thank you so much for being willing to be vulnerable and share some of your experiences about dating. I'm sure it's speaking to many people who are listening to this podcast. Thanks for taking your time to be here with us. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me, Kim. It's always a delight to connect with you. It really is. Mm, Thanks. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. I also hope you'll join me next week when I'll be changing the topic to education and interviewing Dr. Don Parker. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at lifeequalschoices.com or listen wherever you download your podcast. And don't forget, remember to subscribe.